It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Cindy Fletcher grew up in Naperville in the 1950s. And one day, she remembers her mom brought home these mysterious pieces of art. She hung one in the dining room. It showed this big guy sitting in a chair. I didn't care for them. They were sort of dark and bleak. It was just such an odd thing that she would do. So Cindy says her dad finally asked her mom, where did these come from? She said they came from the Art Institute. Yeah. Her mom told the family these new pieces of art came from Chicago's renowned Art Institute Museum. And she'd rented them. It's a claim Cindy never doubted. I just took it at face value. She never showed me any documents. Why would she? I'm just a kid. Last year, Cindy shared this story with her friend Rob. And Rob, in turn, contacted us, asking, did the Art Institute really rent out its artwork? I'm WBZ reporter Monica Eng. And after I started reporting the story, Cindy reached out again to say she was having second thoughts about her mom's claims. What if it was something that... My mother sort of made up so she didn't have to tell my dad where these paintings came from. Her late mother was known for hiding expenses from her dad. Still, I went ahead and I called the Art Institute press office. And for weeks, all they'd say is they had no record of any such program. But then I finally heard from an anonymous source who said Cindy's mom was right. The museum really did have a gallery that rented art. But that was decades ago. So I went back to the Art Institute with this new info, and they still didn't want to talk about the program, but they did cough up some documents about it. Turns out the gallery was started by the museum's women's board in 1954. It was called the Art, Rental, and Sales Gallery. One document named dozens of people who'd worked on the program. But by now, most had passed away. Still, I did find a few who were still alive, including Marta Pappert. She directed the program for more than a decade, and I went to see her in her Evanston home. Hi. It's a beautiful day. Marta told me the gallery was in a giant room on the lower level of the museum. It showcased the work of budding Chicago artists. The work was not part of the permanent collection of the Art Institute, but was separate. And it was a service to the Chicago area public so that they could see the work of Chicago area artists. And if people liked the work, they could buy it or rent a piece for just a few bucks a month. At the outset, the whole thing was seen by some local papers as a quaint little program to occupy bored housewives. In 1959, the Chicago Daily News wrote, Doctors, lawyers, possibly Indian chiefs, and certainly housewives are renting paintings at the Art Institute these days. Some of them are finding it more fun than bargain hunting in supermarkets. Wow. Despite the condescension from some, the rental gallery was a surprise hit. It made more than a million dollars for the museum and for local artists over the years. They rented and sold their oil paintings, watercolors, sculpture, and photography, all vetted by a group of judges. Pappert said there had never been anything like it, a space that showcased so many Chicago artists at once. The gallery was showing about 500 different Chicago-area artists. So you could come to the Art Institute and see a lot of different artists at one particular time. It was like a glimpse of the whole Chicago area, and there wasn't any place else that did that. For artists like oil painter Winifred Godfrey, this exposure was key to helping launch her career. People that came to see it 
were corporate people, wives of executives in Chicago, women that were on the Art Institute board. So it gave me access to a group of clients that I had not had access to prior to that time. The gallery also helped support future Chicago stars like Ed Paschke, Roger Brown, Jim Nutt, and Gladys Nilsson. And Godfrey stresses that that's when the artists need the help most, when they're just starting out. It's important to support artists as they're beginning their careers because that's how you get what's in the museum later on. Despite all these benefits, in 1987, after more than 30 years, the Art Institute decided to shut the program down. Folks who worked at the gallery tell me they heard all sorts of reasons why. They included... Because we were not bringing in enough money. They needed space. The Board of Trustees of the museum didn't quite think it was appropriate. Meaning for them, the work of these Chicago artists didn't fit with the museum's image. But there was also security. There'd been some high-profile thefts at the museum. So Papert says the officials worried that someone could walk off with a museum painting, pretending it was a rental. The guard at the door didn't know anything about art and couldn't tell one of the permanent collection from some of the things that we were renting. Whatever the reason, The closing of the gallery was a loss for all those people who'd enjoyed access to affordable, original art. The public rented or bought more than 40,000 pieces there over the years. 93-year-old gallery volunteer Trouty Bransfield stayed on after the gallery closed. She says she heard from a lot of disappointed patrons at the front desk. We were sorry, they were sorry, and everybody was sad. And a lot of people came in and said, what happened to that place where you could look at pictures and rent them. But the closing hurt Chicago artists most. The 1,800-member Chicago Artist Coalition urged the Art Institute to reconsider, but to no avail. And for artists like Godfrey, this felt like a real snub to Chicago's arts community. I was upset because I felt that in Chicago, there's always been this feeling of second city. You know, we're not as good as the artists in New York. I felt that the Art Institute felt that they were too good to be supportive of local artists. The museum offered no response to this charge. Finally, I brought it all back to Cindy. You know, the woman who cracked open this tiny window on Chicago history and even started to doubt her mom? I told her that not only did the program exist, but that former director Marta Pappert says the art from her house looked a lot like the stuff sold in the gallery. How did that make you feel? <laughs> well, sort of vindicated. It was like, phew, I'm glad I didn't send you on a, a wild goose chase. But she was also a little disappointed her mom's story checked out. What would be great, Monica, would be if there was more of a mystique to it. Maybe she had met somebody on the train, somebody dark and dashing, and said, well, come along to lunch. Wouldn't that be great? I can see a book there. This week's reporting comes from me, Monica Eng. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Next time on Curious City, Chicago's North Lakeshore Drive can move along pretty quickly, even at rush hour, except when you get near Chicago Avenue. 
that's where a stoplight often causes backups. Some people feel like we don't need a traffic light there. It only helps a few local workers and residents. It really does feel like they are accommodating the needs of the few at the expense of all of us who are sitting in this traffic day after day after day. The Chicago Avenue Traffic Light Conundrum. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.